0: This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. There are two common and dangerous misconceptions about psychological trauma. The first is that trauma the word is Greek and means injury, comes only to some of us, combatants or civilians in a war, victims of natural disasters, survivors of rape and incest, or children maybe who've grown up in the most callous and sordid families. The second is that trauma is an unmitigated disaster, causing permanent emotional crippling, requiring never-ending treatment, and severely limiting the lives of those who've experienced it. In fact, trauma comes, sooner or later, to all of us. In a recent government survey, 60% of U.S. adults said that as children they had experienced significant abuse and or neglect. Having a life-threatening illness, a long-term disability, or chronic pain is traumatic. So is caring for someone with those conditions. The loss of a loving relationship is deeply traumatizing. So is the loss of a job that gave our lives meaning and purpose. And all of us, if we live long enough, will have to contend with the trauma of losing loved ones. That's the bad news. And the good news, which we're going to be talking about in this part of today's show, is that all of us can use tools of self-awareness and self-care to heal our trauma and, indeed, to become healthier and more whole than we've ever been before. And we'll jump in when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad. Armin Brott. After this. From the MrDad.com radio network. 911, what is your emergency? My kid shot himself. All right, where's the wound, 911, what's your emergency? Please
1: help. My son shot his brother. 911, what is your emergency? 911, please state your emergency.
0: Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. It wasn't
1: locked. It wasn't locked. It wasn't locked.
0: Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is James Gordon, who's the author of The Transformation, Discovering Wholeness and Healing After Trauma. Jim, thanks for joining us.
1: I'm happy to be here with you.
0: Can you give us a little bit of an overview? I think when people hear the word trauma, they think they know what it means, and you have a a, a different definition, and you talk about how trauma is not always a bad thing, and it's not always what we think it is. Why don't you tell us what it is in your view?
1: Yeah, well, trauma is a Greek word, and it means injury, and it's injury to the body, to the mind, to the spirit, and I think one of the things that's important to know is that trauma comes to all of us. If it doesn't come early in life, because we're living in a difficult family or there's been discrimination or we don't have enough money in our family. It's going to come later as we deal with issues, difficult issues in relationships and losses there and perhaps with physical illness and disappointments. And if not, early or in midlife, it's going to come to all of us as we grow older and have to deal with physical frailty and loss of people we love and our own death. So trauma is a part of life it's not apart from life that's the first thing that's most important and the second is the trauma is the the school in which we learn wisdom and this is a very ancient notion that uh, you know that's there in all of the major spiritual traditions it's there among aboriginal people and we're beginning to rediscover it that trauma as i'm not saying you welcome it but when it comes We have the choice of whether we're going to go through it, experience it fully, and potentially learn from it or try to pretend it's not happening and push it down and push it away. Mm -hmm. And that latter way is not a good way to go. That's the way to perpetuate the trauma and create all kinds of physical and emotional problems.
0: Would you say that trauma is in the eye of the, the beholder kind of a thing, that that there's no absolute way of, of discussing it? Because it seems like what is traumatic to one person may just be nothing to somebody else.
1: That's beautiful. That's a beautiful way to look at it because I think what happens is people, you know, I work a lot both in war zones and post-war and post-disaster situations of various kinds, and people who have suffered often feel I don't have a right. Somebody else has suffered more than I. How how can my suffering be important? Why should I even pay attention to it? And I think what you're suggesting and what I've learned over the years is we we need to pay attention to what is traumatic to us. What is the injury that we're suffering? It's ours. And and it doesn't make any sense. And it's quite unhelpful to compare it with somebody else's. We need to pay attention to it and begin to address it.
0: As you're saying this, I'm wondering, there, there's so much talk these days about trigger warnings and safe spaces and things like that in universities in particular. And there are some people who are reacting to that by saying, by talking about snowflakes and that kids who are, are triggered or, are too fragile. Is there a place for saying to somebody, you, just, you need to toughen up a little bit because these are things that are going to happen in everyday life?
1: That's great. I, you know, I think it really there's a there's a middle ground. I mean, you don't want to intentionally offend people. That doesn't that doesn't make any sense. That's just what we used to call rude. But life is filled with things that are going to upset us, and we all right. need to learn how to relax with those things and how to learn from them. And I think that that there is, you know, we've, we've kind of gone in one direction from being utterly insensitive to people's you know, personal sensibilities because of gender or race or ethnicity right. age to becoming much too sensitive so that we're worried about things that actually magnify the difficulty and don't help people move through. And I don't know if it's a question of toughening so much I look at it, and the way our method works, it's more a question of relaxing with it, understanding that these things are going to happen, that sometimes people are going to say things that are offensive, that do trigger you. And how do you deal with it? How do you learn from it? How do you move through it?
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you hear every once in a while that you know somebody says, well, you, you made me feel bad, and then the response can be, well, nobody can actually make you feel anything. It's up to you how you feel. It, it sounds it sounds like you're you're talking a little bit about that 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 some well, of this little, is is but, but the processing of it if somebody
1: says i make them feel bad i say how what's going on what have i done and that i think is helpful for both parties rather than going you know one way or the other saying it's all your responsibility or it's all my responsibility we're we're in relationships with human beings and mm-hmm. if somebody makes us feel if somebody makes me feel bad um i'd like to tell them And I'd like to tell them why, and I'd like to hear what their response is. I think this is really about building relationships rather than having a particular judgment on what's happening or telling people this is the way you have to behave or have to think about it.
0: Let's talk a little bit about what happens to a person who has undergone trauma of some kind. Is there a particular measurable physiological response that you can... You can do a blood test and say somebody who's experienced trauma, or we we have talked on the show about adverse uh, interactions that have over time as that affect people when they grow older. But how does how does trauma affect us?
1: Well, I, there there are two general ways that the trauma affects us. One is it provokes what's known as the fight or flight response, which is a biological response that's built into all vertebrates up and down the uh, evolutionary chain. And when you're threatened by a predator, you get ready either to fight or to get out of there, get away and escape. In either case, blood pressure goes up, heart rate goes up, big muscles get tense, digestion doesn't work particularly well, centers of the brain responsible for fear and anger are activated, and there's decreased activity in parts of the brain and the frontal cortex that are responsible for judgment and self-awareness and compassion. That's one reaction, and we can feel it. We've all had experienced fight or flight many times. And the problem is not we experience it in the moment because it can be life-saving if we're really threatened. The problem comes if we continue with that pattern and we stay anxious, we stay easily agitated. We have difficulty concentrating and focusing, which is what often happens to people after they've been traumatized. Uh, You know, some people may, if you, you, you might see some elevation in stress hormones, but you don't need to do blood tests to know that you're in that state. You just need to pay attention to how you're feeling. Now, the other reaction that happens to people, especially when they're severely traumatized, is known as the fear reaction or the freeze, I'm sorry, the freeze reaction. And that's when the trauma is so overwhelming and you can't fight and you can't get away and you can't do anything. And we go into a state of kind of physiological and emotional collapse. The fight or flight response is mediated by the sympathetic part of the autonomic nervous system. Freeze response is mediated by the oldest part of the parasympathetic nervous system. It's the deer in the headlights. It's the Um, um, I don't know if you have a a cat, but if you've ever seen your cat catch a mouse and grab it in its jaws, the mouse will just go kind of limp, and that's the freeze response. And it can be life saving for the mouse because the cat shakes it around the mouse in her jaws, and she gets bored. Often. she sure. doesn't crunch the mouse to death. she puts the mouse down. Mousy shakes herself off and runs off to the mouse hole. Freeze response has come done its job and gone. But with humans who've had a freeze response, for example, when we've been uh, you know, assaulted in a way that we, by, in, a, in a way that we can't do anything about or we've been raped, or we're in a war zone and can't escape and can't fight and get you know, out and we go into that freeze response, shut down emotionally and shut down physically, again, it, it it feels like it preserves us. And often it does. It keeps us from some of the worst psychological damage. But if that continues, we tend to withdraw from other people, mm. the, uh, have our emotions inaccessible to us, and it becomes a real problem for as long as it continues. So those are the two basic response okay. that, that we experience
0: I'm talking with James Gordon who's the author of the transformation discovering wholeness and healing after trauma we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we will keep talking to Jim Gordon about the transformation what it is and uh, how it can help you possibly I'm Armand Braun. you're listening to positive parenting hi we're the Goo, Goo dolls we're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn but not every child can focus on classes and play dates Nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. face hunger. That's one in six. School lunch might be their only meal each day, and it's heartbreaking to imagine any child going to bed hungry. We're dreaming of a perfect day when kids can smile, play, and just be kids
1: without worrying about where their next meal will come from. Feeding America is working to make that perfect day a reality.
0: Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste That food is given to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about doing things that make an ordinary day extraordinary. Learning to play an instrument, building a sandcastle, hosting tea parties. Hunger should never be an obstacle to growing up. You can help end childhood hunger in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke.
1: When I woke up,
0: welcome back to positive parenting I'm Armand Bad if you're just joining us talking with James Gordon the author of the transformation discovering wholeness and healing after Trauma so tell us a little bit about the method that you've that you've developed and what it's about and how it's being implemented and just a, a little bit of the, the the history of it
1: sure well I, I'm a psychiatrist by training. And I've always been interested from the beginning, really, from the time I was in medical school, I've always been interested in how people can understand and help themselves. And that's really a, a sort of fundamental uh, idea, a kind of shaping principle of psychological work with humans. And as I've, as I've watched, uh, I've learned over the years that there are a variety of ways that all of us, myself included, that we can understand what's going on with ourselves and a whole panoply of techniques that we can use to balance out our physiology, balance our psychology, open up our imagination, make it easier to connect with other people, and that when you use these techniques, you can reverse the damage that trauma has done and you can make discoveries about yourself that can actually help you renew your life. So I began to develop this work many, many years ago uh, when I was working on the psychiatric ward, and then later as I was a researcher at the National Institute of Mental Health, and I was working uh, with runaway and homeless kids on the streets. And what I saw is that even these kids who were, you know, kind of bewildered and didn't know where to go or what to do and Many of them were being put in psychiatric hospitals or in in jails, and where they really didn't belong, they were just kind of confused kids trying to find their way and not being able to do it easily at home. I began to see that these kids could also use their minds much more effectively than anyone had ever thought, and so the, the work with them was helping them to understand their situation. Helping them to make more thoughtful decisions, respecting their capacity to help themselves. Yeah. Meanwhile, and this is the early 70s, I myself was learning techniques to deal with my own stress, my own anxiety, my own uh, limitations. Learning to do different kinds of meditation and yoga and mm-hmm. tai chi and qigong and learning how to use diet to balance out my body and become more healthy. And over time, I began to put together many, many of these self-care techniques in a comprehensive method, which is what I describe in The Transformation. And it's a method we've been using at the Center for Mind-Body Medicine now for almost 30 years, training many thousands of uh, doctors, nurses, mental health professionals, teachers, community organizers, and peer counselors
0: mm-hmm.
1: who in turn have worked with hundreds of thousands of people here in the U.S. and around the world. So it's wow. a comprehensive program yeah. of self-care.
0: Well, let, let's start with just a a person who has had some kind of trauma, and I, I can't even come up with a decent example uh, because there there's so many possibilities, but just somebody who's had some kind of a trauma how do you begin to help this person to start healing
1: well the the first thing that i do that i do in person and hopefully it comes across well in the transformation is i say you can do something about what's happened to you and i give many examples in the transformation of people who have been seriously traumatized Who have been able to move through the trauma. I give lots of research evidence. So I I say to people, it is possible for change to happen because one of the worst things about being traumatized is you feel like it's never going to change and there's nothing I can do. So that's number one. Next, I teach a very simple meditation technique, slow, deep, soft belly breathing. Breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth, and our listeners can do it as they're listening, with your belly soft and relaxed. Perhaps saying to yourself, soft as you breathe in, and belly as you breathe out. And if thoughts come, letting them come and letting them go. So if you do this for five or ten minutes, you tend to feel a little bit more relaxed, a little calmer. Maybe shoulders that were tense get a little looser. And there are specific benefits, but there's also the message, what, what technically you would call it a meta-message, a message about the message. So the message is, I can feel calmer. The meta-message is, I can do something to help myself. This is a crucial mm. beginning. Yeah. And then from there, we go on with the other techniques. You know, 70 80% of people, the first time or the second time they do this, they experience their ability to put themselves into balance. And if you can begin with this slow, deep, soft belly breathing, then it opens the door to using all these other techniques of self-care.
0: Now, I'm curious, you mentioned something at the very beginning of our conversation about people who may feel that their particular trauma doesn't measure up to somebody else's. And I'm wondering, how that kind of attitude fits into somebody's ability to overcome. I just was thinking of a a friend who was just in a situation. She's a very very strong, a very competent woman and does not want to see herself as a victim, but she was trapped in a room with someone who was yelling at her and could not get out of the room. And she Mm -hmm. found that very... She was able to get out. She wasn't physically hurt, but it was extremely uncomfortable and she was she felt very threatened and 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 i'm i'm just wondering you know somebody like that who who says i don't want to see myself as a victim i don't like seeing myself as a victim but in reality she was a victim of of a, a type of assault i think um and and she for a couple of days had just ruminating on the thing and constantly going over it and over it in her head, and which I imagine a lot of people with various types of traumas do. They just keep going over it, and I should have done this, and I could have done that. And how do you get somebody to even, before they can start with meditation or belly breathing, they have to understand that, that maybe to free themselves up and forgive themselves in a way.
1: Well, you know, that, that may come after using the techniques because oh, okay. you have to break that pattern of criticizing and condemning yourself. And the, the soft belly breathing may not be the best way. It may work for some people. For other people, we do active techniques like shaking the body, moving the body, shaking the body fast, getting rid of that tension because that tension has gone into her body. Mm-hmm. It's not just her mind that's repeating it. I would bet you a nickel that her body is tight and tense as well, and she's having trouble relaxing. So do something active physically to let it go. And, you know, it's, I think that if she can... The, the other thing is it's very helpful for all of us to recognize that this is something that is traumatic. That, and blame is not the issue. The issue is it happened, and here's what's going on with you. And this is really, of course, the lesson of meditation is this is it. This is reality. This is what's happening to you. If you can accept it, then you can move through it. If you're still, if you keep on saying this shouldn't be happening, mm. you're not actually admitting what's going on.
0: Right. No, so, so that, that's a great point is it that it is. And you can keep trying to tell yourself it's not, and that's not, <laughs> not going to help you
1: much. You know, and this is really important. This is a very important point you're bringing up because this is what has crippled so many veterans, for example, you know, over the years and from all the wars that that uh, that people have been in. Is this sense this shouldn't be happening? I'm supposed to be tough. I'm supposed to be strong, but it is happening. And if she were able, if I you know, if I were talking with her, I might get her. I'm uh, sitting in a room with her. I might get have us both stand up and put our, you know, have our feet firmly on the ground and shake for three or four or five minutes and just let it out. And my experience has been that a lot of people, the emotions, maybe the tears will start coming or the anger will start coming and then change can happen. So you really often, this is a point I make repeatedly in the transformation because really important. You need to work with the body because you're not going to argue her out of it. Right. It's, you of know, it's there in her mind and it's repeating itself. Yeah. Having the experience of allowing the feelings to come up, those feelings, whatever they are, of shame or anger or fear, that can be the beginning of the healing process. And that's what you want to encourage.
0: James Gordon, the author of The Transformation, Discovering Wholeness and Healing After Trauma. Jim, thanks so much. This is really, really thought-provoking and, and wonderful. You're welcome. Book. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me on. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its Pre-Diabetes Awareness Partners.
0: Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brant, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, I have two kids, ages 6 and 7, and I'm completely crazy about them. On one hand, I'm confident that we have a good relationship. On the other, I worry that I'm a bad dad. One of the things I hate about myself is that I can't seem to connect with the kids during play, and I have a really hard time making myself play with them. That doesn't seem like something a good parent would have any trouble with at all. Is there something wrong with me? Okay, first off, there's nothing wrong with you. The fact that you're worried about this aspect of your personality says you're not a bad parent at all. Many of us were raised to believe that good parents play with their kids, and they do. However, the reverse, that parents who don't get down and dirty with the little ones are bad parents, is simply not true. Chances are excellent that you're struggling with playtime not because you hate your children—again, the fact that you're worried about it takes that option off the table, at least in my view—but because spontaneous or casual play simply may not be part of your personality. And you're far from alone. One recent study found that one in six parents has trouble connecting with their kids through play, and six in ten say they play with their kids only occasionally. Some of these parents were type A personality types, you know, the kind of people who after five minutes of play start thinking about all the projects that need to be done around the house or the report that's due at work next week. These are the kind of people who constantly feel the need to move forward, make progress, mark items off their to-do lists. Unfortunately, that often results in having less fun. Others said they just don't have enough time for play. This was most common for dads. Most of us live hectic Fast-paced lives and being bogged down with money worries or being overworked at the day job doesn't lend itself to relaxed, stress-free play with the kids. But whatever the reason, almost all felt guilty about not playing enough. If you're not in either the Type A or the not-enough-time camps, you might be one of those people who's simply forgotten how to play. Don't laugh. This has become such a big problem that some childcare centers have started offering play classes for parents. Really. Not being sure what to do can definitely make playing a little or a lot more challenging. But don't worry. We all have the capacity for it. Here are a few ideas that may help you reconnect with your inner child. Channel your inner Mr. Rogers. The second you come home from work, go change clothes. Getting out of that suit and into some old jeans and a t-shirt can put you in a completely different mindset. Break out the clay and paint. Make a mess in the kitchen, bang on some pots and pans, get creative, and you'll be surprised at just how much fun you and your kids can have. Stop being so tough on yourself. Play is all about letting go of boundaries and structure. The more you worry that you're not doing something right, the more trouble you'll have relaxing. That said, sometimes having a little structure can help you ease into the whole play thing. Start with games that can be started and completed within a short time, say 15 to 20 minutes. A lot of game manufacturers now list playing time information right on the box. Card games, board games, and puzzles are especially good candidates. If you've got a comment or a suggestion or a topic you think we ought to be handling here at Positive Parenting, please do send us a line. You can do that through our website, MrDad.com. We'll be back next week with another brand new show for you. Until then, I'm Armin Braat.